Thank you, and welcome to TerraTech's second quarter 2016 financial results conference call. A replay of this call will be available at www.smallcapvoice.com and will be archived on the Investor Relations section of the TerraTech website. Before we begin, please let me remind you that during the course of this conference call, TerraTech's management may make forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are based on current expectations that are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations. These risks are outlined in the risk factors section of our SEC filings. Any forward-looking statements should be considered in light of these factors. Please also note as a safe harbor, any outlook we present is as of today, and management does not undertake any obligation to revise any forward-looking statements in the future. With me on the call today are Mr. Derek Peterson, TerraTech's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, and Mike James, Chief Financial Officer. With that, I would now like to hand the call over to Derek. Bill, thank you very much, and everyone, welcome to TerraTech Corporation's second quarter 2016 earnings results. It's Monday, August 15th. I wanted to talk a little bit today, first off, about the financials and then give a broader general overview of the company, division by division, segment by segment. I'll be doing a brief financial overview. Mike James, our CFO, will be joining us in just a moment to take a little bit of a deeper dive there. Um, press release came out a little bit earlier and the filing was posted the SEC's website. The company achieved revenue of $9.7 million, which was an increase of 93% compared to the prior period, the prior year. Most of the increase was driven largely by higher cannabis sales. As we've said to everyone, that's been a focus is to continue to increase the sales in the cannabis sector. The cannabis sales included sales at Bloom Oakland, revenue for the first time. Also, the sales contained the retail division in Nevada, the first location that we opened up on April 20th on, uh, on uh, Western uh, Avenue in uh, the Las Vegas area. Uh, gross margins increased from 5% to 17% quarter over quarter. And I wanted to talk a little bit about um, gap auditability and controls. And everybody on the call that's a shareholder, for most of you, you everybody seems to understand what we, what we deal with from a banking and regulatory standpoint right now. A lot of our divisions can't get traditional banking. Uh, many of you may have read a recent article where I was even denied life insurance. So we constantly deal with things like banking regulations, basic financial services. So it was a huge feat for us. If you recall when we first signed the merger agreement with Bloom, I think it was late December. And then we needed about the first quarter, January, February, and March, to streamline the controls internally so that we were compliant and had the ability to be um, auditable under GAAP standards by a, by a major firm, uh, MGO, the firm in Northern California, is the one that conducted the audit on the balloon transaction. So what we've done for ourselves, as difficult as that was, is we've built internal protocols and standard operating procedures now um, that we can apply on a go-forward basis. So anytime we're looking at new acquisitions in any space, uh, specifically in the cannabis space, that don't have you know, same and similar banking that uh, normal businesses have. We have the ability to incorporate, incorporate those into our current operations and maintain gap auditability and compliance. The importance, obviously, is, is being maintained listed on the exchanges as well as the OTCQX or wherever we happen to live in the future. That was a huge step for us and a huge learning curve for us. And again, it took the better part of Q1. So the sales we see here um, incorporate those two locations on a fully gap audited basis uh, is, is beginning on April 1st. So that was our first full quarter with the Bloom Oakland location and a partial quarter, but a majority of a quarter for the Western Ave location in Las Vegas. 
digging a little bit deeper into the dispensaries, on April 1st, as I said, we closed the Bloom Oakland transaction, which not only was a retail footprint for us, but also was a fully integrated facility. And what I mean by that is we have on-site cultivation. We have an on-site extraction lab where we manufacture oils, concentrates, waxes, and shatters, and those types of things. And, of course, we have the Bloom storefront location where we see close to 1,000 people a day. The beauty of that location is it's a seed-to-sale infrastructure, and it's given us a leg up in the future compliance necessity for MMRSA, which is the new legislation to house medical that's, that's coming into effect in 2018. has a lot of parameters associated with it and a lot of controls associated with it. And the beauty of us working through the auditing controls in conjunction with the seed-to-sale controls that we've needed to have up in Oakland has given us a head start from a compliance standpoint to integrate into the new uh, regulations when they come into effect in 2018. So we believe that we're very well positioned to capitalize on the Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, which again comes into effect in 2018. The biggest piece to that is it allows for companies to operate on a for-profit basis. Uh, we've been operating on a non-for-profit basis in the, excuse me, in the state of California for some time. That's not a traditional non-profit, as some of you may think. It's not a 501c3, but it's operating without the agenda to produce a profit. That's going to switch for us come 2018, potentially a little bit sooner if the city of Oakland decides to adopt that sooner, which we're working towards that end. But worst case, we're looking at 2018 to be able to operate that subsidiary on a for-profit basis. Uh, Las Vegas Western Ave, again, we opened that on April 20th. Uh, we're really pushing heavy and hard for adult use passage here in November, and we'll dig a little bit uh, deeper into that towards the latter part of the call. And Las Vegas is a city of brands, and what I mean by that is we all remember when you used to go to, to Las Vegas and order $1.99 steak and eggs. That world has changed. Vegas is an area now that's seen declining gaming revenue, but to offset that, they've seen an increase in nightlife and day clubs and restaurants, celebrity chefs, those types of things. So it's very experiential in nature. So we're putting a lot of attention and effort into the brand awareness for the Bloom brand as well as the IVXX or IVX products that we're going to be distributing throughout the Nevada marketplace. So. We've spent a lot of energy on that. We're going to be putting more time, effort, and energy into branding because that's where we think we win the game in the uh, state of Nevada, particularly in the city of Las Vegas. The Decatur Boulevard uh, location is going to be a grand opening on August 20th, so anybody that happens to be in the area, please take a moment, come over and join us. I think the, uh, the, the festivities are starting around 11 o'clock in the afternoon. Our third and flagship location uh, is going to be the Desert Inn location near the Las Vegas Convention Center. Uh, as well as the additional dispensary will be opening up in, in Reno, Reno towards the latter part of the year as well. All of these we're attempting to open by the end of the summer season. A lot of it has to do with you know final permitting from a construction standpoint, and obviously final walkthrough and permits for not only the state, but also from our local municipality, city, county, wherever we happen to be located. Uh, let's dig a little bit into distribution, sales, and marketing of the IVEX products. And so everybody understands how important IVEX is to us from a, from a corporate standpoint. To me, that is our largest driver of top-line revenue in the upcoming not-too-distant future. Owning retail is beautiful for a lot of reasons, which I'll discuss in a moment, but the beauty of developing a brand in the space is twofold. First off, it allows us an unlimited potential to expand top-line revenue by selling to other dispensaries and other permitted locations throughout the state. Obviously, California's the largest medical marijuana market in the country. We think Las Vegas is going to be a very significant marketplace considering the 42 million people that travel just into the Las Vegas area, the 50 million people that travel into the state on an annual basis. 
IVEX sales increased 795% quarter over quarter when we include the sales that went through the Bloom counter. So let me, let me dig a little bit deeper on that. In Q1, we've posted about $130,000 of sales in, in IVEX, and a lot of that had to do, as if you remember for shareholders at the time, uh, was because we had a batch of product and a couple batches of product we had to call back uh, because of optics, no, not because of quality, but because the look and feel wasn't uh, what, it, what it should have been and it shouldn't have made it out to the marketplace. So we pulled that back and it affected sales. Q2, now that we've closed the Bloom location, we can't incorporate the IVEX sales to Bloom. We can only count that at the retail level. But if you look at apples for apples, so in Q1, $130,000 in sales, and IVEX went out to Bloom, and it went out to other retailers throughout the state. In Q2, that number uh, was about 1.1 million, taking into consideration all the other dispensaries in the state, as well as what we pushed through the retail counter at Bloom. The breakdown there was about $330,000 of sales organically to outside medical marijuana dispensaries, which is about a 251% increase. But if we amalgamate in the numbers we pushed through the Bloom counter of another $838,000 of product, being cartridges, waxes, shatters, oils, et cetera, uh, that brings us a total of $1.1 million uh, of, over the quarter. So we were very, very pleased for the organic growth to the outside dispensaries, but it was a great litmus test for us as a company of what we can do by actually owning retail, which is why the ownership of the retail is very, very important to us. We know by merchandising the product directly, properly and by teaching and training the sales force properly, we can significantly move the needle of IVEX sales. So we're able to build that model in our own retail facility and carry that model from our retail facility when we attempt to wholesale the product to other operators throughout the state. We can come in and say, hey, this is the best way to merchandise it. This is the best way to train your staff. This is the best way to sell product. And by the way, we experienced this sales growth over that period of time by putting into instituting these exact standard operating sales procedures. So the beauty of owning that retail is it allows us the ability to not only move the sales needle from our standpoint, but at the same time build a model for us to expand uh, outside, of, uh, outside of our own retail framework throughout the state of California, which, which is, again, ties back to why I feel IVEX is, is the best piece of uh, business for us for top-line growth over the next few years. Um, we filled our initial orders. Again, people have read we've also added on pre-filled cannabis cartridges. I think oil is, is, is one of the major, major sales components uh, in me medical marijuana dispensaries and recreational marijuana dispensaries in the coming future. I think specifically convenience items, uh, being pre-filled cartridges, especially in a place like Nevada, are going to be a huge sales piece. And that's where we're focusing so much of our energy is, is on the IVEX brand as well as the, as well as the uh, concentrates specifically in the pre-filled cartridges. We'll be launching a new uh, IVEX-branded cart here in the not-too-distant future, so we'll essentially have three tiers depending on what your price point requirements are and also depending on what your uh, you know, cannabinoid intake requirements are. Some people want a lower percentage of THC higher, and some other people want a higher percentage of THC. So we'll have something available to all potential patients and all potential purchasers depending on the market that we're selling in. So we're pushing IVEX. We're expecting to continue upward growth. And we're planning to build out that wholesale business to grow market share. In order to accomplish that, we just recently expanded the lab up in Oakland to have full on-site production of waxes, shatters, but the full on-site production of oil from seed to sale, meaning we're cultivating up there, we're using the trim, we're using flour, we're using shake, we're running all that through the supercritical CO2 extraction machine, we're producing crude oils ourselves, we're doing the post-extraction refinement ourselves, 
the filling of the cartridges ourselves, the entire supply chain we have control over. And one of the important pieces and factors associated with that is maintaining quality and consistency for patients. The reason all of our Bloom locations look the same is we want everybody to have the same experience depending on what location they go in. Same thing from a product standpoint for IVXX. We want the same experience out of the cartridges in January as they're going to have in October, that they're going to have in Oakland, that they're going to have in Las Vegas and anywhere else we happen to be. That consistency is the cornerstone of our developing and expanding our brands in both marketplaces. Let's talk a little bit about a regulatory update. 2016, as everybody knows, if you're a shareholder, you're paying a lot of attention to the legislative cycle. We've got a lot of states with some semblance of regulation that's taking place this year, from adult use all the way through um, different forms of medical. Why it's such a pivotal year is this truly is the year that pushes us over half the country, potentially over half the country, with some form of regulation. But more importantly than that is well over half the population with some form of regulated cannabis, which is very consistent with the polling that we've seen take place and why we're seeing so much political support on both sides of the aisle. So we've got California with recreational adult use. We've got Nevada with uh, recreational adult use on the ballot. A state like Florida with a huge population base with expanded medical to take them over and above the CBD uh, rules and regulations they passed last time. So this is exciting for us and we feel as though it's a tipping point in the news last week out of the federal government when they decided to keep marijuana as Schedule One drug, but is allowing for more research on the medical properties of cannabis at universities, is negative on one side of the coin, but a step in the right direction on the either. And frankly, you know, moving from Schedule One to Schedule Two wouldn't have done too much for medical marijuana dispensary operators and cultivators at this point in time. And we believe that the trend toward federal legalization is in motion. We feel very positive about the change in sentiment. You know, I started this company and uh, felt like I was running uphill on ice, and this is the first time period where I actually feel like we're starting to get some significant tailwinds, and that's progress from our perch. Uh, a little bit of an operational update on the Edible Garden Division. If you read a prior press release, you see that we shipped our first order of nutritionally enhanced super leaf lettuce to ShopRite supermarkets in the Northeast. The lettuce was developed in partnership with Nutrisorb LLC in conjunction with Rutgers University. And what that really is, is we did a test at ShopRite to see what the sell-through would look like, and it looked very attractive. So now that we have those statistics in, we're able to take those to other retailers that we sell product to and show them what the sell-through rates are in order to get expansion. But this was a great test for us. ShopRite's been an excellent partner for us in terms of new products, and the Superleaf is really just a commitment to quality from, uh, from an agricultural standpoint for us. And what I mean by that is so many purchasers of produce are now getting more and more educated about the nutritional benefits for the dollars they're spending at the grocery store. So people are understanding, hey, when I buy iceberg lettuce, I'm not really getting any nutritional benefit. If I have blueberries, I'm getting antioxidants and those types of things. So we're really appealing to the increase in education level of consumers by offering them a red leaf and green leaf lettuce alternative that's extremely nutrient dense and super high in antioxidants. So we're focusing on more and more products like that when people are making smart decisions in their grocery aisles that we're certainly one of the choices available to them. We're also expanding our retail offering through the introduction of vitamin and dietary supplement lines through the acquisition of Vitamin Whey, Vitamin Whey Protein, Slim Trim, Surgex Sports Nutrition, Alm Essential Vitamins, and Bikini Ready. We're currently focused on the medical cannabis industry, but if recreational cannabis becomes legal, this retail arm is also potentially going to provide us with other distribution opportunities. 
we don't know where sales of cannabis is necessarily going to go in the future. Is it going to end up at pharmacies? You know, could it end up on 7-Elevens? All of these potential outcomes are options. Um, and we wanted to make sure we had those covered. So everybody has always asked since the beginning of time is why did you go the agricultural route? And I think that made itself clear as we went through different permitting processes. People saw our core competency on the agricultural side. We're GFSI certified. We're kosher. We're USDA organic. That built a lot of credibility when we were competing for medical marijuana permits throughout the country and gave us you know, a certain, uh, certain leg up against our competition when they saw we were dealing with significant retailers like Walmart, ShopRite, Kroger's, Marshes, etc. That level of uh, confidence that we gained, we wanted to make sure we covered all assets and all potential outlets for medical marijuana in the future. So if it does end up in the retail market, guess what? We already have products being distributed into major grocery stores, into major pharmacies, into major convenience stores, and, and those types of outlets. So it positions us for the future to distribute cannabis products into those same, uh, those same channels if it pivots there. If it doesn't, at least we're covered and we have an accretive business in that space. So a lot of this, people are trying to understand how this all fits together, and it all fits together because we're all agricultural-based from the ground up, but we want to make sure we have broad retail distribution and we want to make sure that we have an outlet for cannabis products depending on where the sales channels end up being in the future. Uh, we recently announced uh, the other day that uh, we hired a new general counsel for the firm, Joe Sigilia. Uh, the press release uh, kind of digs a little bit deeper into his background, but 17 years of corporate legal experience. He came to us from Robinson Brog, a boutique law firm in New York. We've done some work with in the past. We were very impressed with his performance. Uh, he's got prior experience navigating the legal complexities of the medical cannabis industry. He's going to oversee the company's financing activities as it scales operations, put together all of our debt and equity offerings, and enable us basically to better, better maneuver into new markets and allow us to manage costs wisely. So this was a, a decision for us to bring in-house counsel because we have such complex legal infrastructure, state by state, municipality by municipality, layered on top of the securities regulations we have to operate as a for-public company, layered on top of finance, complex financing agreements. So it was time for us to bring very experienced counsel into the company, and it gives us the ability to be proactive rather than reactive, and this was just us strengthening our corporate team. I want to now take this time to turn the call over to CFO Mike James for him to discuss and review our financials for the quarter. Here you go, Mike. Thank you, Derek, and good afternoon, everyone. I will now provide you with a summary of our second quarter 2016 results. For the more detailed results, please refer to the press release we issued earlier today, which is posted on our website, along with a Form 10-Q filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission. In addition, please note that we compile our financials under U.S. GAAP, including our non-operating expenses. For the quarter ended June 30, 2016, we generated revenues of approximately $9.7 million, compared to approximately $5 million for the quarter ended June 30, 2015 an increase of approximately $4.7 million, or 93%. The increase was primarily due to revenue generated by Edible Garden and the sales of its produce, herbs, and floral products in newly acquired Bloom Dispensary in Oakland, newly opened Nevada Dispensary on Western in Las Vegas, and IVEX from the sale of its cannabis products into the wholesale channel. Our gross margin for the second quarter of 2016 was approximately 17%, compared to approximately 5.2%, for the same period a year ago. The improved margins were attributable to the better margins at Edible Garden as the business continues to scale 
and were partially offset by increased spending on the refinement of Teratech's proprietary recipe of extraction. Margins were also impacted by the allocation of Bloom's, Medifarm's, and Ibex's business activities into cost of goods sold in accordance with federal, state, and local laws. SG&A expenses for the quarter totaled $5.4 million compared to $3.4 million a year ago. The increase was primarily due to an increase of 1.2 million consulting fees due to a higher stock price and 674,000 for newly hired employees in Nevada and the Bloom employees in addition to the 392,000 amortization of intangibles acquired in the Bloom acquisition, which was partially offset by a reduction in legal expense in the amount of 205,000 and warrant expense of one million one hundred fifty thousand in two thousand and fifteen versus zero in two hundred two thousand sixteen. We incurred a net loss of approximately four point six million or one cent per share for the second quarter of twenty sixteen, compared to a net loss of approximately two point eight million or one cent per share for the quarter ended June thirtieth, twenty fifteen. The primary reasons for the increase in the net loss are related to an approximate one point two million dollar loss from the fair market valuation of derivatives during the quarter ended June 30, 2016, compared to the prior year's second quarter. Now turning to the balance sheet. On June 30, 2016, we had cash of approximately $1.7 million, compared to a cash balance of 418000 at December 31, 2015. Short-term debt as of June 30, 2016, amounted to approximately 628000 a decrease of approximately 32% compared to approximately 917000 as of December 31, 2015. Long-term debt increased from 0 to $1.6 million during the first six months of 2016. Shareholders' equity for the second quarter of 2016 amounted to $41.5 million, an increase of $35.1 million compared to $6.3 million as of December 31, 2015. Total revenues generated from cannabis products for the second quarter of 2016 totaled $3.8 million, compared to $128,000 from the second quarter of 2015. The increase is due to the acquisition of Bloom Oakland, the opening of Bloom Nevada on Western and Las Vegas, and more distribution and a stable product produced at IVEX. Now I'd like to turn the call back over to Derek for some closing comments. Mike, thank you very much. So in summary, we feel as though we had a very strong quarter, both in terms of revenue growth as well as strengthening our balance sheet. Two commitments that I made in the short run to uh, shareholders and to our team was to grow not only market share and top line revenue, but to continue to work on expanding gross margins. We also reduced the short-term debt. And if you haven't seen uh, posted on the SEC's website, uh, we were able last Friday to get our S3 uh, effective through the Security and Exchange Commission. That is hopefully going to open up an opportunity for us to find healthier, cheaper financing for the company and to be able to pivot and move a little quicker when opportunities strike, which ties into our you know, longer-term build-out uh, strategy as well as our longer-term merger and acquisition strategy. So in summary, wanted to make sure everybody truly understood what our, what our scope of uh, attack is over the next 24 months. We want to continue to grow top-line revenue by solidifying additional permits throughout the country, continuing to build out in Nevada and the state of California, hopefully getting recreational and adult use passed in the major marketplaces where we live and work. In addition to that, we want to put a huge emphasis on mergers and acquisitions because, again, that balances that long game, short game that I've talked about in the past. 
the long game is going after permits, going through the political process, the legislative process, the building process. The shorter-term accretive game is finding existing infrastructures, existing businesses that are producing revenue and cash flow and bringing those under the Terratech umbrella. The S3 will obviously help with that uh, from a strategy standpoint, so we're excited to have the opportunity to use that as one of our tools. In addition to that, the expansion of the IVEX brand in all marketplaces that we're working towards and the continued expansion of the edible garden agricultural footprint, as well as the nutraceutical footprint and the retail expansion throughout the Northeast and the Midwest. In terms of revenue guidance, as we've said in the past, we're anticipating revenue this year, full year of 20 to 22 million for 2016. With that, I'd like to turn the call back over to Phil. I would like to open up for questions and answers and make sure everybody has a chance to get, uh, get some questions answered. Thank you, Derek. Uh, the first question, on February 9th, uh, 2016, Washoe County uh, Commission directed staff to draft an ordinance that would not allow recreational marijuana to be sold in mar medical marijuana dispensaries in the county. Uh, Terratech spent $1.2 million on its Bloom Reno dispensary with more planned to be spent on Bloom dispensaries in Las Vegas. How will Terratech respond to such limitations? Um, you know, I, I ran that by legal counsel that focuses on that area for us. That is not something that's uh, it's an effective or an active ordinance right now and not something that's going to come into effect as we sit right now. But this opens up to kind of a broader question is we constantly have to monitor what's going on in multiple markets from a legislative standpoint. And so it's one thing getting into a market, but we, once we're in that market and operating, we need to make sure that we're lobbying, we need to make sure we're communicating with legislators, because we don't want to wake up one morning and have a piece of legislation that's pivoted or tweaked or changed to a point where it makes it cumbersome for us to operate. So we're very focused on all the different markets that we operate to make sure that legislation lands in an arena that's comfortable for us. We do that in California with MMRSA. We'll do that with the different recreational uh, acts that are in the markets that we're involved in. So we, we have a team, and a lot of that is, again, why we brought in Joe as general counsel, so he can effectively manage not only our lobbyists but our legal counsel in the multiple municipalities that we work in so that we don't have something like that that hits us out of left field. Perfect. Um, next question, is there an IVEX production site currently in operation in the state of Nevada? We are working uh, with existing permittees that, will build, that are building out our IVEX products, our oils, waxes, and chatters, and those types of things. So we are pushing the IVXX brand in the Nevada marketplace in conjunction with people that have operations open right now. Our facility won't be up and operating, as we've said, till next year. Um, so we're putting some time uh, into building that facility out over the better part of this year and a little bit into early next year. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that we had, you know, some semblance of idea of recreational is passing in November. That way, if recreational passes in November, we're going to pivot a little bit and build out and expand the infrastructure on the cultivation facility a little bit broader, knowing that the demand will be a lot more significant in the space. So we don't have our own uh, facility up and operating at this point in time, but we've done a strategic partnership with people that are producing IVXX branded products in the state of Nevada for us to be able to get the brand recognition out of the gate. Okay. Uh, next question, when is the company going to make a profit? <laughs> I, get that, I get that question a lot. Um, and, and I want people to understand what, our, what my intention is. You know, we could stop growing the company right now, not go after any more permits, not go after any additional locations, fire all the lobbyists, get rid of all the heavy SG&A, not grow top-line revenue, and work on building out our own infrastructure, reducing SGA, reducing cost of goods, and get the infrastructure 
profitable and stop the broader corporate expenses. But that's going to come at the expense of top-line growth, which isn't something that we've decided to do. I want to scoop up as much market share as absolutely possible. And then as I bring in these different divisions, our goal and objective is to turn the subsidiaries into cash flow profitable subsidiaries, but we're still going to have overall corporate expenses as we go after new projects. And at, in the early stages of growth, those corporate expenses are going to usually outweigh the earnings from those subsidiaries. So we're going to be in a period of time where we're going after market share, a lot like larger companies that have the same strategy where they, you know, where they build top line revenue at the, expense of, at the expense of net income. We're building a similar model out here where we want to make sure we grab as much market share. Once we've grown the company to a point where we're comfortable with, then we'll trim all the fat. And we're making a lot of those changes right now. Since the acquisition of Bloom, compared to Q1, we've dropped the cost of goods significantly. We've made a reduction in SGA and other key pivotal areas. And that was really just in the first quarter. In the first quarter, we're, we have so many headwinds of just getting the staff integrated, you know, changing the systems over, going through the audits, the internal controls, the standard operating procedures, and those types of things. But we're going to continue to make improvements fundamentally and fiscally inside of Bloom in and of itself in all divisions. Same thing with Edible Garden. So the, the, the goal of the company from a broader perch and a broader perspective is to continue to grab as much market share, push the Bloom brand out, push the IVEX brands out, get broad penetration through acquisition and organic growth. And then as those divisions ramp up, open up, and are operating, go out of our way to make sure that they're operating from a net income positive standpoint, from a positive cash flow standpoint. But again, as we're going through this growth mode and we've got this huge team of of lobbyists and consultants and those types of things, we need to maintain competitiveness in multiple marketplaces. We're going to have general large corporate overhead expenses, and those won't go away until the point in time where we make a decision the company's grown large enough, and we're certainly not at that point today. Okay. Uh, next one, uh, two-part. Uh, when is the company going to do a reverse split, and can management provide an update on a potential uplisting? Um, as far as a reverse split, I've said in the past, my only intention and the, and the officers and the directors only intention to, at this point in time to conduct a reverse split is for a potential uplisting in conjunction to meet the price per share parameters with an exchange wherever we happen to end up. So I, I certainly have no intention to conduct a reverse split into a vacuum for no reason uh, at this point in time. They, uh, and, and if that changes, I would, certainly, I would certainly tell people, but I've said this multiple times, I have no interest in conducting a reverse split with the exception of a merger or exception of an uplisting uh, into a major exchange to meet the price uh, per share parameters. I'm sorry, Phil, what was the, the second one was an uplisting question? Yeah, they, uh, they asked, can management provide an update on a potential uplisting? Yeah, so, you know, the, the, my assumption is the exchanges are going to need banking regulations to be changed before we're going to see a major marijuana company listed on the NASDAQ or wherever. Um, we, we all saw the follow-up with some other companies that have made a run into the space. So we're building the company's infrastructure. We're on the QX. They've got significant listing standards on the QX. Um, we're going to fund and finance the company to grow top-line revenue. We want to build shareholders' equity, as Mike James said. We've gone from, you know, a little over $6 million to over $40 million in shareholders' equity. We want to make sure that we not only meet the uplisting parameters for the exchange that we want to go on to, but we want to make sure we blow those parameters away. So when we knock on the door of the NASDAQ or wherever it happens to be, I want to make sure that I've got far more than the $5 million of shareholders' equity required. You know, we've got 39,500 and something shareholders right now, which is obviously way over what the parameters are. So, you know, I want to make sure we have our tuxedo on when we show up to the, to the ball, <laughs> for lack of a better analogy. 
And uh, that's just been a, you know, a corporate strategy of ours, you know, from, from the directors down to the officers at the company is to make sure when we do make a run, we've got all our I's dotted and our T's crossed and we, we don't give them an excuse not to uplist us. Because we know the uplisting process is going to make national news. And if I'm somebody, you know, that works at the exchange or is a decision maker over there, I want to make sure that the first company that uplists is one that's got significant um, uh, ability to raise capital in conjunction with significant financials in a long-term history, and we want to make sure we're positioning ourselves for that. So I'd uplist tomorrow, or you know, if I was, if I felt confident, we would get a yes. But I feel like the banking regulations need to be worked out before we make any move in that direction. And in the meantime, we're going to continue to build our our infrastructure. We're going to continue to build the company scope. Okay. Lastly, uh, last question. I read the S3 went effective on Friday, August 12th. Can you discuss with investors the S3 and what you will use the capital for? Um, you know, I, I can't discuss any particular use at this point, but we're, we're, we're obviously extremely thrilled to have a tool of this caliber at our disposal to, to, to take care of the company's future growth. Um, what the S3 essentially allows us is to go out and be a little more aggressive and, uh, in, in finding financing and to negotiating financial terms and that type of thing. It's a shelf registration. It's what they often call a kitchen sink shelf registration. So we can use multiple different types of financings off the shelf. Uh, and uh, you know, usually uh, investment bankers love to see this because it's a valuable tool for them. And usually companies can get better, uh, more affordable financing. So um, we're obviously going to be using it for things like our M&A campaign and, and those types of things and finishing build out. But um, you know, as we as we conduct deals, as we find financing deals. Um, we'll announce, you know, announce those deals through 8Ks and make sure that they we're communicating to the public the usage of those proceeds. But it's a huge and a very, very significant tool for us as a management team to continue to fund the company's growth model going forward. Okay. That was uh, the last of the questions. Uh, again, Phil, thank you very much for holding this. Uh, Stuart, thank you for putting the conference call together. On behalf of the officers and the board of directors, we'd like to thank all the shareholders and interested investors that took the time to log into the call today. We will be back with a uh, Q3 earnings call as well, and we look forward to upcoming announcements as, uh, as they come to fruition out of both the California, Nevada, and other marketplaces. Hope everybody has a great day. Take care.